you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. So welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It's my absolute pleasure today to have as our guest the amazing Darren Needham-Walker. Now I met Darren, oh my gosh, I reckon about seven, five years ago maybe uh, here in Australia and over the time that I've known Darren, he's been here in the US and back again. Um, He works teams and the talent behind some of the world's most iconic and influential brands. Um, Darren is, for me, one of the most focused uh, thought leaders uh, that I know whose work around collaboration and motivating and inspiring a multi-generational workforce um, has actually received international recognition for, for some of the work that he's done. So it's an absolute joy to have Darren on the show today. I know we're going to have Janine. a lot of fun. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, it's going to be, I'm looking forward to this. Um, but after that intro, wow, I hope I can live up to it all. Oh, you certainly will. You <laughs> certainly will. How long is it that we've known each other? It is quite a while, isn't it? Uh, it is. It, I would be pushing, I would say, between the five to six year mark. Yeah. I know. So we met when you were working at uh, Hewlett Packard. You are a highly skilled, influential uh, marketeer. And I can still remember the day you introduced me to YouTube FanFest. And I came out of that going, (laughs) what the hell is going on here? But that's where we met. Um, And you were really challenging the marketplace then in terms of influencer marketing and and influencing teams, weren't you? Yeah, I, look, I, I was actually just looking back at some old um, social coverage that we had, and there's a photograph of you with one of your one of your boys um, at the Troy Savan yeah, meet and greet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was and, a super cool mum then. It was <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what we could actually do with our role to you know in, increase our relevance of super coolness with what we do. Yeah. Oh, I, I I was totally the best mum ever then. It was like brilliant. I had no idea what was going on personally. I was like, I, I could not get my head around this concept of all these kids shouting and screaming to watch somebody put mascara on. I was like, this this is a totally different world to me. But that's the power of how our marketing communication has, has changed. It, how, it's, um, how it's evolved, you know. Um, when I first got access to, um, back then I was working with Troy, um, I was fascinated. This young, back then I think he was 18, um, had not, not many people had actually physically met him in person, but he had millions of followers across Twitter, mm-hmm. um, uh, across YouTube. I, um, and this fame that came out through social engagement it, it absolutely fascinated me. And I, I re- remember writing a couple of blogs about this and actually mentioned it to Troy in later years that that blog that I wrote um, is actually referencing him uh, about mm. navigating the digital natives jungle uh, and mm. how it becomes so important. Uh, um, and it's been an area which has fascinated me ever since and how that then influenced consumer behavior. And now it's even driven into B2B space, into commercial. 
Yeah, well, let's let's definitely come on to that shortly. So you moved from here. You've just come back from was it a four year stint in the US? Oh no, no. It, um, at times it felt like that, but no, it was um, just under three years. Where we're living I'm up in the Pacific, yeah, up in the um, Pacific Northwest near Portland, Oregon. Wow. And significantly different experience, do you reckon, from here in Australia? Did you learn a lot from, from that experience from a consumer and a marketing perspective? And a spe- I'm a, assuming almost like a scale perspective too. Oh, definitely. You know, going from being the CMO of Australia um, then into a functional global lead role, it tested different skill sets um, in a different way. Which was, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, in Australia, where we ha- I had total control over the ecosystem, I did, but over a micro ecosystem within the um, HB Global brand. Um, it gave us, again, the opportunity to lean out and further push that influencer behavior uh, based on what is the content that's been consumed by our audience. And that's also been driven by this multi-generational um workforce that we have today the content we were producing in commercial printers needed to be very different to what we have in the past to keep that engagement with our consumers alive do you think you've always had an interest in people and consumer engagement can you remember when this 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 interest first sort of eventuated wow um i've always been fascinated in observing why people do things uh, and even sitting in a, in a cafe and watching how p- different families interacted at a cafe and why would, you know, some families, and this is likewise with my own, um, will sit with the kids down with the iPads and the others won't. Uh, you know, what is the motivation behind that? What are they trying to do? What is he they're trying to tap into? Um, but I remember growing up, um, and I was fascinated, my father was in real estate, um, and what made certain people want to buy certain properties uh, what mm. was the driving force behind that obviously affordability is in there but what is that emotion that people are trying to connect to and that's and been something think- which sorry no sorry you go <laughs> <laughs> that's something that i've been um capturing into um throughout my marketing career is everything we do has to link back to an emotional connection uh, whether it is and in that, consumer land or if it's in commercial, everyone is yeah. a human being and everyone wants to connect with something. Yeah, it's, it's such a powerful place, this emotional connection that you can so easily get wrong and equally it's fine it's hard to to get right. And in mm. in your industry, um, and and you've you know you've been part of this wonderful wave of evolution in this marketing space and this influencer space and this this communication connection space what what do you see is coming like what are some of those significant changes that you see impacting your professional industry over the next few years yeah and i know you've spoken about this on several other of your podcasts janine but it is this deficit with brand trust uh, the brands that you and I grew up with and so forth, there is such a deficit with brand trust. Everything with the Royal Commissions and so forth that are happening in this country, people aren't trusting the brands. So I think the opportunity for marketers is to reinforce what our brand purpose is. And that is very different to our vision and mission statements. 
what do we actually stand for at the core of what we do? And I think that's what's going to transform and maintain or grow brands in the future is truly living up to an emotional purpose that they can link to and be authentically generating a connection with their audience. I'm imagining there's a whole heap of people listening to this going, absolutely. Um, whether they are aware of the recent stats around the deficit of brand trust or not, mm. this this desire to actually build trust. Have you got some, from your, from your experience, have you got some ideas or thoughts around how individuals so as leaders we do that and equally how as brands we can do that and they're very similar all right um authenticity is the key um the an audience our staff members you know friends family they can immediately sense when you are not being authentic then therefore you're straying away from your purpose trying to be something that you're not all right um it is something that as a leader i I'm very genuine and very open in my transactions with my direct staff, the broader team. I am who I am. Um, and I, I put that out there unapologetically. Uh, people know what to expect with me, uh, which is building my purpose. And through that, people see that I'm a caring individual. I am very focused. But brands can do exactly the same thing, but it has to come from a place of authenticity. Do you think you've always been that person, Darren, that person that has always been who they are? Or was there a moment that you got to where you went, this is ridiculous, I've got to start being who I am? Oh, wow. Um, I should almost lay out the therapy couch now, Janine. Um, <laughs> and I, I've always held dear that my principles should be uncompromising. Um, and I know early part of my corporate career, many, many decades ago, um, I was more aiming to please, to say and do the right things to try to elevate my career. And I remember I was, I can't remember which company it was, but I remember mentally having the shift in, no, no more. This is, you need to stand for something. You need to build your personal brand. And what will that be? Um, and that was uncompromising. Um, and I, actually saw my career elevate when I actually became more sure of who I am, what my brand will be. Um, and actually, it was about the time I came to HP where I was like, you know what, this is the time where I will be who I am. Right? Um, and being an openly gay executive, right? um, it was something for many years I did not include openly in my conversations with staff, the company or whatsoever. But when I joined the company, the HP Corporation, I actually did, uh, unapologetically. And this is who I am and gave more of myself into the conversation. And that was very well received. It's also putting yourself in that point of being that slightly a bit more vulnerable by exposing a little bit more of your true self. Which is, which is quite a scary space. One of the things I'm uh, writing about at the moment is this concept of the perfection that exists in the perceived imperfection yes. and how our, um, 
our lack of care for ourselves, where we're faking it till we make it, or pretending to be who we are, or as you just alluded to, you're you're saying what is expected, doesn't allow us to become our brilliant selves. No. And I love the fact that you said, you know, when you realised you needed to build your personal brand, that's when actually things started to happen uh, for you. What what advice would you give to people that are listening and are going the same thing of going, God, I, I get that. Um, but how do I do it? You know, I'm, I may be feeling like an imposter. I may be struggling with self-belief. I've got this desire to do something, but I don't think I'm good enough. Uh, there's this stuff about my personality that I'm hiding. You know, from your your experience and a very successful career, what, what would you say to people? And, Jimmy, I don't think you will ever fully remove yourself from having those self-doubts. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, there's many case studies that have been written that as you get higher in your career, uh, these self-doubts will remain, um, but it's how you process them and how do you accept, to your point, perfection within imperfection. We're never going to get everything 100% right. We have to embrace, you know, failure is a good thing. Uh, to you know, listen to Elon Musk, you know, you know, failure, to fail is the first intent at learning. Right? And as you embrace that and truly embrace it, uh, you will understand that the imperfection is what's going to make you perfect. Um, I was very fortunate enough whilst I was in the U.S. to attend a leadership summit uh, at the Aspen Institute in Colorado and literally bringing together some senior leaders in a room uh, and we sit around and having a glass of wine or a cup of coffee in the morning. You understand that we are all challenged with the same self-doubt. Uh, but it's building that network where you could dial up a friend a colleague, someone you've met, and actually talk through some of these self-doubts and get your network to assist you because uh, everyone's having the same conversations in their own minds. But leverage your network to be able to help you through that. I love it. Right, there's two things I, I want to just explore a bit further there. So first of all, you you talked about uh, failure and actually how it is that first attempt in learning. Have you got an example of how, uh, have you got a favourite failure? Something where you look back and you have that little giggle to yourself and you go, oh, my God, at the time, swallow me whole. But now it definitely set me up for success. Have you got an example you can share? Uh, Definitely. And it goes back to that moment of time when you realise, okay, you just got to own this. Um, Make it your personal brand. Don't be what someone else wants you to be. Um, I'll re- keep the company and some names uh, anonymous here to protect the innocent. Um, I was working for a company, um, pitched to get a large sum of money to do a campaign. The campaign was then orchestrated through other means. You know, this is what you'll do. This is the media selection. All through the process, I'm like, I would not do this. Uh, um, when the campaign was executed, uh, a lot of money was spent. The results were less than optimum. I, I turned around and the CEO at the time turned around and said, Darren, if I can see that you don't actually believe in what this is about. And the, the, the campaign failed. Uh, um, it actually had a negative impact. And I said, yeah, well, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I'm going to stop you right here. In the future, if you don't truly believe it, don't do it. Treat it as if it's your own money. And if it's your own money, your own brand, your own company, embrace that. And from that moment, um, Basically, if I didn't believe in it, I won't do it. Even today, I had a conversation uh, with some senior executives 
advise them that no, I would not um, advise them to do that. And it was a bail, an emotional led topic. But I dug my heels and said, no, that's my position. You may decide to go elsewhere, but you need to stay true to that. And that was my first major lesson in failure. As I also talks to courage there when you talk about um, standing up for yourself or standing up for your opinion on what you're thinking. It takes a lot of courage too to do that, particularly in in some of our organisations where there may not necessarily be that that feeling or that 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 culture of safety or a safe environment to, to speak up. So the courage piece is equally as important, isn't it? Oh, agreed. And Janine, you know, we we hear a lot about oh, this is a safe environment. Um, and I, when it's raised within corporate environments that I engage with now, I'm like, really, is it a safe environment? Can people really say what they feel, right? You know, and you know, back it up. Um, and as a leader, it's my role to ensure that my team, and not just my direct line managers and so forth, but my entire team and those that I get to engage with across the organisation, feel that they can sit and have a conversation and tell me what they honestly think. Uh, in an era that is additive to the greater solution we want to develop, um, which is hardest, I think, since this attitude of keeping a safe work environment where people can put, there's a lot of this platitude thrown around, but there's, I don't see as much genuine traction in creating that. Because I don't think people really appreciate what does it mean to create a, a safe work environment where people's opinions can be delivered without cr- judgment or criticism. From from your perspective, what does it mean? How how what what thoughts have you got around how to create that safe environment? Um, what what do we have to do as individuals and leaders to support the creation of that 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 type of culture? And I think actually before we actually started recording this session, we were talking about how busy everyone is. You know, the fact is we are busy. And as leaders, we have to reject the natural urge to just come in and solve a problem. All right, come in and over the top say, okay, just do this. That kills any sort of creativity or innovation. All right, make the time to listen. All right, make the time to guide the conversation, but not direct it. All right, that is empowering the individual that you're, or the teams that you're working with to expand their, their field of vision. That's where the true magic happens. Some of the best campaigns I've ever been associated with did not come from my brain. I helped curate them, but they have come from you know, marketing coordinators or marketing managers or so forth that work within my organization. But how did I enable them to think bigger, to think freer, to think more horizontally right, through inquiry versus giving them the ultimate direction? Mm. Mm, that's, that's, and, and to me, that is one of the classical requirements of leadership. It's creating that space yeah, for the magic to happen, um, which sometimes, which which for me, we means we need to slow down and we need to um, create that thinking time, that percolation time, and give give people the permission to actually talk through their ideas. 
The other thing you talked about and I touched on was this important piece around network. As you know, it's one mm. of my my passion projects too Certainly in terms is. of the, the importance of people. Um, how Have you got an example of um, or even that watershed moment for you where you realized how important having your own inner circle, I'm not talking about a sales lead network, but the network of Darren to help you uh, navigate your career and the work that you were work that you were doing. Yeah, and, and look, I think the, the pivotal decision to leave the US and come back to Australia, it, it was massive. And I know I reached out to many people in my network, including yourself, Janine, um, to process this uh, and to, to really unpack what is the importance for me. Uh, um, and having members of, in your network that you can reach out and authentically have a conversation, you know, and I'm going to say warts and all, uh, where you don't have to curate the conversation, it just happens organically. And with people that are prepared to give you their their input freely um, and without fear of you know, retribution or judgment. Um, and for me, that was, you know, obviously there was, I had personal reasons I would like to uh, address on that, and but there was also the professional reasons. And to actually talk through it with no agenda or nothing to be gained either which way, but just to have a logical conversation, it was vital. Uh, and the outcome was I feel more validated in the choice. Um, and obviously I actioned against it. And um, bloody happy we did. It's good to have you back. <laughs> Thank you, Janine. Good to have you back. Um, who, um, before we start sort of delving a little bit into into your um, your approach and thinking around the workforce of today, yeah. um, who's who's been one of the the most influential people in your life? Do you think in terms of influencing your decisions and your behaviour and and your style of how you're living and leading your life personally and professionally? Yeah, um, and I, th- I think it starts, to be honest, it, has, it starts at home. And my beautiful husband of 18 years, um, Jason, has been a, a, someone who's always made me remain true of centre, you know, um, and true to who I am. The, the gap between who I am at home and who I am at the office is negligible. I, um, I carry this, a lot of the per- say personal traits through, um, so personally, he's kept me on the straight and narrow, as my, particularly as my career is elevated. Um, you know, you may be a big shot at the office, but when you come home, you still need to put the garbage out. Um, but also, you know, he's a firm believer in treat people with the respect that you want to get um, replayed back at you. But probably one of the most significant leaders, um, well, there's two. One was the VP of... Um, HP when I joined Janice Cox, one of the most amazing uh, business women. Uh, of course, excluding yourself, Janine. Um, Janice has been a, an amazing confidant for many, many years, um, leaving HP and going on to Telstra into executive director role there. Um, but most recently, probably the now CMO of Facebook, um, Antonio Lucio. He is the one person that really reinforced the bridge of purpose. You know the company purpose, your divisional purpose, uh, and your personal purpose, uh, and these need to be aligned. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be able to create. It's going to create friction. And if your purpose with your the company purpose is misaligned, you don't believe in the same things. 
you, you should get out. Uh, you should not be creating those friction uh, moments with yourself uh, and what you need to do. Um, and he speaks about this, you know, at Harvard and Yale each year. Um, and it's something that he is very, very passionate about is the, the junction between personal and business purpose. What's your purpose, do you think? Well, my purpose, my purpose, uh, it changes. Uh, my purpose is now to leave a legacy of marketing transformation and empowerment um, with, with the company I'm at. Um, and then, of course, I have my personal purpose uh, when I get home. Um, and that's, I'm looking forward to retirement, <laughs> which I don't think <laughs> will so ever not. truly happen. I, can't, I cannot see you doing nothing. You're never going to not do anything. <laughs> no, neither can I. I think I'll get divorced, you know, in five minutes if I did. <laughs> So with with this legacy legacy work, which which is a wonderful segue into this 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 the way you work now, um, whereas as you talk about that collaboration lives at the heart of everything that you that you do, mm. and you're very passionate and uh, have strong opinions about how do we harness and embrace uh, this wonderful, multifaceted, multi-generational modern workforce that we're in today. Mm. Um, from your perspective, what, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that, that leaders are facing or organisations are facing with this multi-generational workforce and consumer base? Yeah. It's, it's almost like you know, men are from Mars, you know, women are from Venus, that sort of conversation. The older, and I use that term uh, sparingly, uh, leaders often find it really difficult to engage with the youth. Very fortunate in the company I'm in, we've got about five, four, five hundred developers uh, a few floors down from me, you know, doing web design, um, and we bring in a bunch of young grads, like straight out of university. They come and work on some projects in what we call the hack space, um, and I think. What I invigorates me, and I encourage other leaders to do this. I just walk in and go and sit down and have a chat. So, what are they working on? Uh, it blows my mind what they're doing. I don't understand some of it because it's highly, highly technical. Um, but really, there's a value exchange in having these conversations and actually say to them, guys, I don't understand coding. What are you trying to develop? So, and it's then um, strange when they'll see me around the building and say, hey, any chance, Darren, you can grab you for five minutes. We want to pitch our idea, but we need your help. We're great web developers or programmers, coders, et cetera, but we're losing the magic in translating what that will mean to our audience. And that's, you know, for a 21-year-old to come in and grab the head of marketing and say, hey, come and can you help us on this? They have less hesitation. Uh, and we need to embrace that, elevate that, and actually nurture that. Um, and that is something, you know, I throw myself into uncomfortable conversation. I mean, into their territory and understanding of what they're doing, their thought process. And again, inquiry, inquiry and inquiry uh, to unearth the goodness which is you know, fostering around their great ideas. And you, so you sound quite excited about what's happening, what's coming, the potential opportunity yeah. within the workforce. What is it that excites you about it? 
it's the unknown. Uh, if you look at some of the largest companies on the planet, they weren't around 15 years ago. Uh, these were born from an idea. Um, and I get so excited. You know, we do uh, hack days twice a year, but we bring any ideas, and these just don't even have to be coding. Um, these are any ideas that we want to unpack and put some resource about on how do we make our business better or better for our community. Um, and the ideas that come from there are so rich, um, so heartfelt. Um, I think that... You know, in the, no, I actually know that in the next five to 10 years, we will see such fundamental changes in technology that will come from the idea of some 21-year-old today. Um, but it's how do we embrace that? This is why you know, there's been this boom over the last 10 years in startups. Uh, the younger generation are feeling that their ideas are not getting hands, they're not getting enough air or to breathing room, as you said earlier, to expand and give life to something that potentially could be absolutely transformational. Right? Where we, at my generation, you know, failure is still something that we swallow hard, but we do and move forward. The younger generation know it's part of life and that to succeed, if they don't fail, they're not pushing it hard enough. They're not trying hard enough. And this is something I would encourage every senior executive spend time with the youth you know the younger generations understand how they're communicating um you know what they're communicating on and what are the problems that they're facing and you'll find that they are very very different you know with the different age um demographic throughout your organization but they're very very real and that's where there's almost opportunities for the cross sponsorship or mentoring i mean i often talk about with organizations and leaders that that the ideas are within their four walls the opportunities for innovation are within their four walls it's up to leadership to find ways to unlock that brilliance and that potential and um your point about uh opening up that dialogue is is critical i have somebody in my inner circle who's literally late 20s early 30s and the conversations she's teaching me so much and on the flip side I'm helping her and supporting her so much and that's the power the opportunity that exists if we can just open our eyes to it um and and you're right I think it's it's up to all of us to be to be willing to create to create that space no, uh, agreed you know, and you see you hear of you know I know many years ago IBM used to do a senior leaders pairing or some of the junior staff with the most senior staff. Uh, and there was this cross-pollination of ideas, very rich. Um, and we're seeing that more throughout large businesses. But it's also really important that when you have um, a work group, right, that we just you just don't – Sorry, I just got distracted there, Janine. Um, when we look at work groups, that we just keep, we have to keep them cross-functional, but also cross-generational. That's where you're going to get the brilliance that comes alive for unleashing any potential. The ideas that get bounced around and get developed reiteratively in that environment. It's amazing to see. I did one recently, and I actually stepped out of the room 
because I could see that there was more lively conversation when I actually stepped out and allowed the power of the, the community that I had assembled, about 12 people, it really came alive. I came in and did various checkpoints. And at the end of the day, I was blown away with what they curated. So what are your learnings that you can share from that story? Because that is, again, I hear courage and bravery to do that, of the willingness to step out and trust the people that you have empowered to do the work. What what else do you, if you were to dissect that as feedback to listeners on this podcast, what are some of the, the learnings from that experience? Because that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, bringing in people from multi-generational, multi-functional with defining what the end goal is. And they, in this transformation project, I spent about 15 minutes telling them the end state, that where I'd like to get to. Right? And, you know, it's a journey. Please take it on as their own collective project without any boundaries. So I have no time limitations. I have no financial limitations. If this is your company, how are you going to help me get to this end state? I gave them the permission and the room, the the breathing space to be able to create and navigate. And it was amazing that you could see was as you give one an open checkbook to do whatever. Of course, it's like, well, just pay someone a lot of money. But the this small microcosm that we're locked in a room for a day became self-moderating. Uh, we wouldn't do that because it's too expensive. That may be too slow. The solutions that they got to because of self-moderation was actually very inspiring. So again, setting the end goal, ensuring that it's known that if there are constraints that they need to work in, what they would be, but not so constrained that it's actually going to smother the conversation or the creativity. Mm. So this this entire sort of podcast series is all about unleashing brilliance. Um, what what does that term mean to you? It's unleashing brilliance to me is you said earlier, you know, and I gave you my purpose. I I actually that's what I would like. You know, if everyone goes, what are you going to put on your tombstone? Was I able to unleash brilliance? Uh, and whether that's with you know, if my loved ones, family, friends are here at work, um, I want to be known as an enabler. Right? Unleashing brilliance is also having the ability to let things go, right? to be able to give the freedom and be able to stand back. And it's you know, not having children, I can't relate, but I have many nieces and nephews. When you see them get on their bike for the first time, Mm-hmm. And you're oh, is this going to work? They're going to fall over. Sometimes you're going to have to unavoidably watch someone scratch a knee, but you're going to be there to help them get back up and go again. It is that nurturing forward, up and forward each time is what I truly see as unleashing brilliance. It has to be reiterative. We do not get success every time, each stage out of the gate. We need to be as leaders to help and elevate people up and say, that's okay, let's move this thing forward and be that motivation behind what will obviously be a brilliant activity at the end. I love that. I love that concept of, well, one, the analogy of the bike, absolutely, but you're 
your comment about uh, nurturing up and forward each time and that it's an iterative process. Um, yeah. Perfect. What, what does, do you like to think deeply about, Darren? Sorry, Janine, you actually dropped out again there. Technology. Oh, sorry. What, yeah, what do you, technology? We, you're working technology. We're using technology. What do you like to think deeply about? There's a, a poster that I have um, at home in my office, and it's an image, and it's how do we make the impossible possible? And the only difference between impossible and possible is it just hasn't been done yet. Um, I like to l look at problems which people tell me can't be done. And I like to try to work out how could we. Uh, again, it tries to keep the creativity going. Right? But I like to think on th that portion um, and whether it's you know, what I'm going to blog about next or you know, what am I going to do from a certain business problem. But then when I'm at the office, I consume myself with the development of the team individually uh, and as the collective. You know, where do these people go? Uh, and I speak openly about this, about your career aspirations. Uh, and again, this is about building and fostering that open environment. And speaking openly that your longer career, I've worked for multiple companies in my career, and it's reasonable to think it's not reasonable to think that we would be sitting in the same company for your entire career um and that's okay and my job is to help facilitate and grow people's careers both bringing people into this organization and also when people leave the organization to pursue other opportunities that is something i love to think deeply about is how career development can happen for individuals well, it's that wonderful ripple effect too, isn't it, of uh, the impact that you're having on, on other people to help unlock unlock their potential. It's, yeah, and, you know, I mentor a couple of folks around, and these are people that were business colleagues at one point or um, I've met throughout the industry who'd reached out to whether I would mentor. And now I've got, again, it also helps build on that network effect. As people leave your immediate um, circle, they still remain in your network, right? And that value exchange you give them creates that lasting connection. Mm, right. Now, if I were to um, zoom in, Jason, right now, your wonderful husband, um, what would you like to say to him? <laughs> Probably on the side. Um, Look, he, yeah, he's my rock. He's you know always been my true north. Um, you know, and it would be a massive thank you for standing by me. You know, he's his own person. He's his own super successful professional. Um, but has always made time for me. Right? Um, and I think that's empowering. Right? That I know, and I mentioned about you know how I like to lift people up. And move them forward. He does that to me on a daily basis, right? Um, you know, is that unwavering cheerleader in the background that has always got my back? Um, and I actually base the success of my career, you know, on having someone like that. Mm, that's lovely. So we finally, before I sort of 
wrap this up. It's 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 just been an absolute pleasure, as always, to chat to you. I am really grateful that you are back in the country and uh, hopefully we are going to see so much more of each other. Um, and it's wonderful to actually witness how you have stepped into your spotlight and you doing the work that you are doing and the impact that you are having. So it's been really great to follow that over the last few years. Some of the key things um, that you've talked about that I just want to highlight for our listeners is, you know, this concept of uh, there is a deficit of brand trust. There's no doubt about it. Um, That is true. Brands and business and governments, et cetera. But your point about within that, therefore, what do we stand for at our core? Um, if there is this overall universal decline in trust, then it's up to all of us individually to actually determine who we are and what we stand for. I think it's really powerful and encourage people to think about that and equally in that concept of, of their purpose. Um, your link to that around this need when you, you realise that you needed to build your personal brand and taking ownership of what that is, I think as the market is becoming more competitive, uh, the more that we can stand solidly in our own brand, the more uh, we can operate from a place of integrity and truth. And the third surrounds self-doubt, you know, your your point about it is a constant. Um, You know, it's one of those lovely little invisible voices in our heads that keeps going, doesn't matter what level uh, in an organization you're at or what stage of life you're at, this self-doubt kicks in, but it's the difference between choosing to let it eat you up and stop you or how you manage it, how you exist within it to move forward, I think is a really uh, powerful insight into how you've got to where you've you've got to. Um, so my last question for you is, yes. you know, you're talk about what's next, what are you doing next, uh, my bigger question is more around, so what, what would you like to be remembered for? Wow. Um, look, I, I, as I said earlier, I think it's I want to be remembered for someone who genuinely helped out. Right? Um, and what I mean that I, that I help people in making the right choice the right decision the right steps in their life and career um as a you know i want to be remembered as a a good boss but a better leader um someone that is emotionally vested in the greater outcome for both the team and the individual so it's as i want to be listening we start again. Um, I do want to be remembered as a great empathetic leader. Uh, and I think a leader of today cannot be great without having a level of authentic empathy for the people that they lead. Darren, it's been an absolute joy to have you on this podcast today. Thank you for Thank you, sharing Jenny. openly. And, and so hope to see you soon for a glass of wine. I think we've already got that planned. (laughs) I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Darren. I will speak to you soon. It's been an absolute joy. Take care. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people. Extraordinary results.